When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. I love Double Double E. I love Double Double E. I love Double Double E. back everybody to week two episode two of wrestling omakase i am your host john carroll and this week i have a new guest i have jeff hawkins here from shake them ropes on the voice of wrestling podcasting network jeff how are you doing here on independence day uh great i didn't have well i had to work but i said no so <laughs> it's it's always a good thing to to go with your independence and say I, i'm out of town i can't uh, be tethered to my I, computer the great the great thing about working well one of the greatest things about working for a nonprofit is that they use like any excuse <laughs> to give us days off so we had like a half day friday or off monday and tuesday so just just been chilling here um so what so we we need to get into a couple big subjects today we're going to talk about the um the new japan g1 in the u.s shows since you were lucky enough to attend them both live and mm-hmm. i want to hear your thoughts on that but before that the main reason why we're here is to talk about world wrestling entertainment yes everyone's favorite and least favorite <laughs> wrestling company um so jeff before you get into um what your feelings on the current WWE product are wh- why don't you talk a little bit about your background in wrestling and like when you first became a fan and you know why you're still a fan today 
The the irony of me having to review and critique WWE is that I didn't get WWE where I was growing up. It was actually later in my wrestling fandom because I grew up in southeastern Virginia, which was Jim Crockett Promotions territory. And unless you had cable, which, you know, I was one of those kids who didn't have cable for a long, long time, you didn't get to see uh, WWF at the time, unless uh, until Saturday Night's main event came about. Uh, I got into wrestling around 1983, 1984 is when I really became a fan. Um, and a- as I went, you know, I, I, you know, my sweet spot for the most part is territory wrestling from about 84 to about 92 ish. Um, and that's, you know, when, when H- Hogan came over to WCW, it kind of killed that fandom on that side of the ledger. But then I, g- I got into things like I was early on to the inter- the quote unquote internet wrestling community because I had gone to college in 91 and gotten part of Rex Sport Pro Wrestling. And, and that was when like Smoky Mountain and Japan and ECW were tape trading. So I could get all that going. So I found a new way to do it for me wrestling has always been about talking smack and fake fighting and wwe doesn't necessarily do either of those very well but then again i also think wwe isn't really invested in a wrestling product it's a marketing product that uses kind of wrestling for it and my approach to criticism has always been kind of to use little tidbits and things that i've heard over the years and and also i have a background in television writing you know, I, I tried to judge it at one time by their own words. We're the longest-running scripted television program, or hourly, whatever they were going with. I'm like, well, if you judge it by those merits, it's a terrible television program <laughs> as well. Um, and my theory has always been that, you know, for the last 20 years or so, Monday Night Raw has kind of been what 30 Rock was for Saturday Night Live. It's a television show about a wrestling television show. And if you kind of watch it like that... You can enjoy it a little bit more, but but we get into so much weird. Weirdness with especially today's wrestling product and so many wrestling fans wanting it to be something that it just doesn't want to be. And that's that that's actually one of my big takeaways coming from the New Japan two shows it's like this this would never work with wwe it's a completely different world but it's a venn diagram where all the fans of other promotions are inside this bubble of wwe because they have to be but wwe has its own style and its own fan base which is which can be surprising to a lot of people so so with all that said um you've been a, a fan of wwe going back into like You'd say like the late late nineties. No, I've 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 been watching WWE since about the mid eighties. Mid eighties, okay. And what what do you personally view as the change point from when it stopped being pro wrestling? Was it oh Ashton I never era? was it? Oh, no, I think Hogan. Hogan. I think Hogan. Oh. It, it became it came it became very. It was always to me the the kitty dumbed down wrestling federation when i was growing up when i was in my prime wrestling years you know you'd watch the nwa to watch burly tough guys talk trash get in the ring fight there was blood and then you'd turn on this technicolor product that was trying to sell you breakfast cereals and morning cartoons gotcha and and that's that's always kind of i've had i've always had a bit of a disconnect with the wwf in that it's never been my favorite promotion (laughs) 
but you end up talking about it every week. Well, I, I have <laughs> other I have other skills, and I like to talk. So it's one of those things where it's like I can compare it from, say, an acting standpoint. I can compare it to a writing standpoint. I can, I it, you know what it does though. I mean, I don't come from it from a I hate the WWF standpoint. I can come from it from a critical analysis of never having to have to be an apologist for it as well. Yeah, and that's that's I feel like this is one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on because. It's so rare to find somebody who actually still watches it every week that I wouldn't call an, a quote-unquote apologist because I feel like so many people have given up on it in the past couple of years that it almost feels like sometimes when you're on Twitter, the only people still watching every Raw and every SmackDown are the the over-the-top apologists, like people I'm not going to name, but I think... We're- yes. I, well, I think wrestling... At least for me, it, it's a buffet now. I have to kind of go in and, I mean, because even there's no wrestling product that top to bottom hits my sweet spot. And and I'll, I'll tell you why is because the, the loss of promos, the loss of really good promos in wrestling ha- has made my fandom kind of kind of a pick and choose where I want to go. Because the, the athleticism right now is off the charts amazing between every single promotion that's out there. Um, the talking, the personality is, is what's lacking. And, and part of that is because every other wrestling company in some way is either an offshoot of indie wrestling where you have this great athleticism or it's an offshoot of the WWE where they have their own style of how they do expositional type promos and you never really get that kind of, uh, for lack of a better term, animus between competitors. So, so, so yeah, I remember you and I had a, a discussion like this before where you said you need, you know, you, you get why people are so into, you know, Japanese wrestling, for instance, but it doesn't have that that promo element from your youth. Now, that actually gives me a good follow-up question. What did you think of the English language promos on the New Japan shows this weekend? Um, The, the, the only ones I saw were in-ring. I haven't seen anything that was broadcast on television. Mm, right. Uh, so I really didn't get to see that. I think they're okay. Um, like, like, there's a lot I like about New Japan wrestling quite a bit I've, I've been watching it mostly um mostly you know your big g1s new dominion those events since about 2014 mm. 2013 when tanahashi was really having his run of five-star matches against everybody and, I, and i've become a, a fan of that ever since uh you know i i love i can watch uh tomohiro ishii you know forever because that guy brings a certain natural toughness to his matches that that that, you know, a lot of guys that do the more, for lack of a better term, choreographed types of matches don't. So, I mean, I can find things I like in almost any federation I, I go to. It, it, it's just one of those things where I think certain things can be a bit too much from time to time in terms of choreography. And, look, I'm, I don't want to become Jim Cornette either in terms of, you know, the psychology is terrible, but I understand his points. In some ways, I liked most of the promos, like uh, Ricochet's promo. I thought was a uh, good o- Omega. I L- let me ask you this: what, what are your thoughts on Kenny Omega as a main event wrestler? As I, I think he's a very unique personality, but when people talk about him as the like this potential mainstream breakthrough star, I don't really know if I see it in America. I think he works well in Japan, but I don't know. Like like when Dave Meltzer started talking about him as the next John Cena, like I don't know if I see that because I think 
on some level, I mean, I just call what I just called on my Twitter feed was like Pedro Morales for weebs, which is like, (laughs) (laughs) just like he he appeals to a certain fan base, and I and I totally get why he would be popular with the American Japanese wrestling fan base, but I don't know if he's going to have that kind of appeal to like a mainstream American fan base. I agree with you. I, I agree totally. I like Kenny Omega's athleticism. I do, but for me. A lot of his mannerisms are still playing, kind of playing to the back of the room. A little broad com. His instincts are a little bit broad comedy still to me. I mean, to me, he's the guy who could still pull out the chainsaw arm at any point just to mm-hmm. pop a crowd type of thing. And I, I think he's missing a certain main event veneer. Maybe it's toughness. Maybe it's just being a little bit more serious in his promo style. That that that. That would translate to once he goes to a WWE type of ring, and they'd see him as being an entertaining guy, but not as a guy that has that main event charisma style, if you know what I'm saying. I mean, I think he could be a main eventer. I just don't see him as, like, the guy. Okay. So that's, that's how I would look at him. Like, I would, I think he's in his position in New Japan, I think he's perfectly. He's a, it's a very good position for him as Okada's rival mm-hmm. and as, like, you know, this guy who appeals to American Japanese pro wrestling fans. It's just when Meltzer starts talking him up as, like, you know, if he's signed, he could be the next John Cena. That I don't say. Yeah. I don't see him being the guy in a, in an American pro wrestling company, like yeah. a mainstream American And, and Dave, Dave has his certain biases. and things. I, I feel the same way when he, when he talks about Adam Cole as being kind of a next main eventer. I'm like, I like Adam Cole a lot. I just, I just think that if he went to like a WWF, they'd look at him and go, "He's, he's a small guy. We'll put him in the two hundred five division." Yeah, probably. I mean, Kenny does have that going for him. He's not really that much smaller than a lot of guys they put on top now. Right. So, like, he is about John Cena's height, maybe not his muscularity, but, um, but yeah. So that's that's a that, that's a good topic though. Like, what? So, what keeps you watching WWE now? Is a is it is it just out of habit? Is it just um, is there something you is, is there something in WWE you feel like you can't you still can't get anywhere else? Well, I watch WWE mostly because I do two shows about a week. Um, <laughs> but you know, they, they, there is a lot of good in the company. Like NXT to me is a great small professional wrestling organization. They book like it's pro wrestling, and and I really. What really got me going, when I was doing Shake Them Ropes, I almost quit after the first year because up until they got that top 100 list where we could go into the network and watch some things that, you know, I really liked and I could explain it, the historical context of it, there was a lot of really poor stuff on the main roster. And I started watching NXT, and this was when, like, the, the horsewomen were just starting to come around. I mean, I think Bailey and Sasha were still mid-card at that point. But they had, you know, some tag teams in there, and tag team wrestling has always been a big thing with me. And I really started to enjoy just the simplicity of NXT as a wrestling promotion. But overall, I still love pro wrestling as an art. I do believe it's an it's a performance art in some way. I'm in the performance arts out here doing, you know, small theater, black box improv and things of that nature, and there's a lot of overlap right now between wrestling and improv out here, which is mind-blowing in its own right. Um, and, you know, I, I, I enjoy... I've always enjoyed, since I was a kid, the, the, the notion that you could go on screen, 
talk smack about a guy, go into a ring, get into a fight, and come back the next week and still be talking smack. Um, and, 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 and wrestling for me, especially WWE's main event, they still do very well because they still take care and concern. It, it's the other 90% of the roster that is so slapdash that you're going, well, if they did this right, or if they if they pull out all the stops in this match, or if they're allowed to do this, you know, you kind of have to do your own kind of wish casting for the rest of the card. It's almost like with American wrestling, it, it feels like you have two, you know, you have these two extremes now where... The, you have the Russo era booking where you know every single wrestler on the on the roster from like the top guy to the lowest possible guy had to have like a very long and wacky storyline that he would usually forget about the next week or you have the WWE modern style of booking where it just feels like there's matches every week there's really no explanation for why half the time and nobody but the main eventers really has any kind of consistent or you know consistent storyline or consistent even characterization right so it's like why can't we have something in between these two extremes but it just feels like we can't well we we can't and and it's also because of how vince mcmahon i always tell people to view the wwe like vince mcmahon is running an old 1920s movie studio he's casting for parts he's looking for his leading man he's looking for his leading lady you know and once he gets those people that he i mean if you get someone who's perfect inside his box then he just can run with that because it's all marketing after that. The reason, like, an Austin or a Rock got hot was because of the marketing arm, but that's nothing that Vince did or their creative instincts. They went off on their own, they said something that took fire, and then Vince could put the rocket behind them. If you're asking him to build guys, then then you're asking, I think, a bit much of him in terms of his creative instincts. The other note that I I always take to heart, and I thought it was perfect, was Tanahashi's description of the WWE being McDonald's for wrestling. Mm -hmm. And it's it's true. What they do as a touring product is they give you the same match in every city, prepared the same way, so that, you know, that kid in Butte, Montana or Wilkes Bar, Pennsylvania, or those other small cities that they go to occasionally that they don't run Raw and SmackDown on, who's never seen the WWE before. Oh, he gets to come and see an RKO. Oh, he gets to come and see a stunner, you know. They get to watch the Eagles play Hotel California. It's very, very packaged in that way, and it constrains them in many ways. Like, they they can't do injury angles, because some kid in a city that they don't go to that often may not get to see Roman Reigns do a Superman punch. Is is it really Wilkes... I always thought it was Wilkes-Barre. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought it was Wilkes-Barre, but it might be Wilkes-Barre. You might be... Let's say Hershey, and just call the whole thing off. Because they run um, that all the time, too. They do run that all the time, it's true. I've never been there either way, so either one of us could be right. If any, if any, if we have any listeners there, you know, feel free I'm to write have, in. You're gonna have one person very angry. You said the wrong name of my hometown. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, that's a great. The McDonald's thing is a great comparison too, on a lot of levels. Um, so when, when you talk about them being prepackaged and looking for their looking for their lead, obviously Vince thinks he found his lead in Roman Reigns. Mm-hmm. What are, What are your thoughts on the Roman? the Roman push, where we are today, and where we're going in the future with this. I think he's still trying to figure out how to get this guy over. I, I really do, because it, it becomes one of those things where it's like, okay, that didn't work. Those 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 darn fans who like their work rate or like their, you know, their internet darlings 
aren't clamoring to him as the star. What can I do next to get the casuals involved? Oh, let me find a big monster to get him over and give him heat. So we start building these monsters and these obstacles for him to find his way through and to hopefully then once he's crowned champion, then he'll be applauded and, 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 and loved so dearly as as they seem to want to. I, I You know, it's, it's, a, it's an experiment that's going to be ongoing until he gets it right. And we're just going to have to sit back and wait until he gets it right. But do you, so you really don't see them ever giving up on it? I don't. I, I really don't. I think they'll, I mean, I think the closest they'll ever get is if they do, I mean, God, Keller beats his dead horse to death. Oh, he what he really needs is a heel run here. I'm like, okay. You know, I think they'll eventually turn him heel if, if people don't start clamoring to him. But, you know, it, it's one of those things where the casual WWE fan, the kids in the audience... The families that bring their kids, the people who only watch, you know, Raw or SmackDown and may occasionally have a family trip to a WrestleMania, they love Roman Reigns. They do. They, I mean, it, the, the, I mean, sure, he has the most merchandise out there, but it still sells. It's like, nope, it's not like anybody doesn't buy a Roman Reigns t-shirt who doesn't want one. You know, just, <laughs> oh, I went to a WWE event and I need to buy a shirt. Might as well be Roman Reigns. They, they don't do that. They buy it because they like the Roman Reigns character. It's, it's, it's the most, I think we sometimes, I'll give you an example. I went to, I went to WrestleMania for the first time uh, two years ago in Dallas. And it's amazing to me how people want the things that the rest of us hardcores don't like. You know, they want to see the Dudleys do the was up spot and Devon get the tables and they want to sing along with their favorite characters doing their catchphrases during a promo. That's the WWE experience. That that's what they want. That's their fan base. Whereas we want great matches and heat building feuds and great promos and things of that nature. So there is a disconnect between whether or not the Roman Reigns experiment is working in many, many ways. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting debate because you obviously the people, the people that are going to make the most noise, especially on Raws and pay per views, are the ones he's not connecting with at all. So then it becomes a question of how important it is actually to appeal to those people, and when like it actually might start rubbing off on the rest of the fan base. Well, it's weird because you're going to also get now, <laughs> you have what I call ironic wrestling fan. You know, the people who are, who thought it was a great thing for them to put the title on Jinder Mahal and are really getting behind Jinder and saying, oh, look at Jinder, he's getting so much better. There may be that faction of fan base that eventually turns and starts cheering for Roman as well. Well, they, I think they already kind of are, actually, but okay. it's interesting. Um, so maybe switch, switch gears a little bit. Um, so one thing I've noticed in the past, uh, like, let's say, like, let's say, like, 10 years or so, is we've lost kind of the last generation of wrestlers that kind of came before the the post attitude era like when you look at like a Shawn Michaels retiring like mm-hmm. that was a big one to me as far as like a guy who can really trace himself back to the old days and what what it used to be like and you you, you know we just it looks like we just lost the undertaker on top of that a lot of those kind of guys are kind of like have left the scene what do you think, as far as like a hole they left, they've left in the in the modern WWE? Like, do you think that's a big deal that we've lost guys who can go back to the pre-writer days? 
I, I think in many ways, yes, because I think in look in modern parlance, you still make money in wrestling with your mouth. That's why Kevin Owens and AJ Styles, the whole face that runs the place thing, really got him over after doing great matches in addition. Those are the things that give you longevity in the WWE. Uh, the hole that they leave is is guys with mystique, because in the pre-writer days, you'd mostly have squash matches, and you'd save matches, you know, week to week to week. I mean, they still had the mystique when the Raw Attitude Era came on, and being on television week after week after week after week, but... They never lost the star aura, and the problem in today's WWE is that there's so much time to fill on these TV shows that special matches get rushed into a television main event without any real build to it, and and you kind of burn through a lot of things that you could later do a slow build towards, like, say, a Nakamura versus Kevin Owens match on television. Yeah. Um, the, the When you look at, like... The other thing I feel like that you kind of lose is you lose that, like... Like, when when Shawn Michaels came out and did a promo, um, even in the writer era, it almost felt like he was more of an actual person mm-hmm. than a lot of the other wrestlers just because of the way, you know, his, his delivery. And I don't know if there's anyone who's like that anymore as far as, like, delivering promos where you feel like they aren't just reading from a script. Yes. No, you're, you're exactly right on that because as, as a writer, former writer on television, you, you find that you fall in love with the words that you write and you want the actors to do it exactly that way. And there are some actors who have a different cadence and a different verbiage that you need to adapt to. So what, what you want to do is have a more uh, symbiotic relationship with talent. And I think... There's an issue now with quite a bit of the talent in there that they're they're afraid to give notes on what they're being handed to to say, and what they're being handed to say isn't really emo- you can, it's not something you can put emotion behind. That that's the other, it's that exposition '80s action movie type dialogue. We have to get to the chopper right now, or else everything's gonna blow up. You can't really, you know, that really doesn't help a, a person extract personality in a promo. So so it's kind of a twofold thing. You have you you have kind of a mental test for talent in that Vince I think secretly wants people to push back and give themselves ideas for their own promos and things. But at the same time, you have to be the right person. It has to be the right time to give that kind of feedback. And it, it, it I think a lot of people are just, you know, they don't want to toe that line. They don't want to they don't want to anger anybody in creative lest they end up getting, you know, <laughs> written off a of television for a few weeks while creative decides, well, let's see if we can figure out something for this person to do. Yeah, and I feel like that that fear of we have nothing for you, kind of, which has been a, a line that, you know, creative has nothing for you, has become a line that I think wrestling fans have gotten to know pretty well mm-hmm. if they pay close enough attention. And I think that fear has shaped a lot of what we've seen in the past, like, ten years or so. Well, if you look at a guy like Zack Ryder, who did get himself over by going his own way, and, you know, doing those first, you know, tr- true Z, lo- the, 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 the internet videos he was doing on his YouTube channel, and he was getting a lot of play, he was becoming very, very popular, and they got mad because they didn't want him to get that that popular. So it, it's, a, it's a double-edged sword, so to speak. You want to be able to get yourself over, but in a way where they can control it and take credit for it. 
Right. And they and and you have to be the bright guy that they actually want to see even get over in the first place. Right. Which is another thing entire. Which is a part of the problem where they it feels like it's it's almost kind of like it's wrestling communism where it's very centralized. <laughs> and it's yeah, like, no, you're you're exactly right. It, it it's very <laughs> weird. Like like it. They could have a million... I mean, they could have half their roster over right now if they would just treat themselves as the movie company they think they want to be and do pre-tapes and do vignettes and do things and show these, but the live experience is so important for them that they don't want people to just be watching the screen at all times. It, 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 that part's frustrating. It, you know, it, It's still frustrating to me to watch a guy who's clearly getting behind people behind him and still has a lot, a lot of... Uh, Personally, like a Sami Zayn, or even a Bailey, and they just they just write these scripts that make them look dumb to make people feel stupid for liking them. Because, in my opinion, they are very bad at writing straight ahead good guys. Well, yeah, you that's know, that's undoubtedly true. Endearing people, like they 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 almost scoff at those endearing qualities of a good person. <laughs> who might be in the wrestling? Who might be a wrestling character on a television show? No, I'm going to do the right things the right way and work hard and go out there and just please the fans. Well, we gotta bury you because you're obviously a mark for yourself. Here you go, you know. So let's switch gears a little bit. Um, so you've been watching all this time, just like me. When when they announced last year um, that they were bringing back the brand split, um, that was one of those moments where I honestly thought it was a joke at first. And, you know, as someone who lived through that brand split era and saw what, like, what it became later on, especially with, you know, oh, guys disappearing on each other's shows now. Now ECW and SmackDown have a talent exchange. <laughs> now Raw is the Raw super show with SmackDown, but SmackDown still has its own roster. Like, it just became so convoluted and stupid by the end that by the time they finally, like, mercifully killed it, I honestly never thought we'd see it again. And then to, to just bring it back out of nowhere was a very, was a very uh, interesting decision. So first of all, what what was your reaction when they brought it back? Was it similar to mine, or was it different? Oh, it was full skepticism that it wouldn't last more than a year or two before all the guys that got over on SmackDown were on Raw, because the whole view is the Raw is the A show. They tell you that over and over again, and that's the show the McMahons show up on. That I mean, there, there's no. I mean, I was thinking, okay, yeah, what they'll do is they'll use SmackDown to build guys that they may see something in, and as soon as they get hot, they'll put them over on Raw, and they'll trade guys that are on the downswing on Raw, and to hopefully build them back up again. But that SmackDown's going to be the feeder. Um, what I was hoping they'd do is put, say, the women in tag teams on one show and then let Raw be the sports entertainment show. Like, For me, the thing coming out of the brand split was that SmackDown... When it had the SmackDown 6, was a far superior wrestling show, and Raw wanted to be the uh, comedy variety show, so to speak. So you had those two varying products, but as soon as SmackDown got any kind of juice of any kind, they put the kibosh on that, and that's exactly what they did here when, say, you know, those talking smack segments, or the likability of the authority figures, which is... Oh, God, I could do without authority figures in my wrestling, and they're, they're, the rumor is they're going to put one on 205 now. Uh, really? <laughs> yeah, that's the rumor, and it's like, I could do with. I mean, when, when this brand split happened, it was obvious SmackDown was a better show because of the more likability of the people running it on screen, and also it was more straight ahead as a wrestling show, whereas Raw was a show about a wrestling show. 
and 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 then they just decide, well, you know, we'll we'll bring the Undertaker back as part of SmackDown, and then the next week, oh well, I can go anywhere I want now because I'm the Undertaker. Yeah, it's the same problems ad nauseum because they don't want anything to overshadow Raw. So is that that's kind of how you've seen it played out too? Because it felt like SmackDown. You know, I, to be honest, I haven't been watching, so I have to um, d- defer to other people's opinions here. But SmackDown last year felt like it had a little bit of buzz to it, and then this year it's kind of died pretty quickly. Yes, it, it has, because Daniel Bryan's been gone for a while, and that's always helped. Um, they took some of the guys who were getting much Look, SmackDown made Heath Slater over in the course of a tag team tournament where he had no business getting over. That, that SmackDown was doing some good things, getting guys who ordinarily wouldn't get a push, getting over, which which is shocking to just about everybody. But they also did, you know, <laughs> Dean Ambrose is the most boring character on television to me in terms of a wrestler. They, they, they kept doing that, but at the same time, they'd have those little moments, like the Miz and Daniel Bryan's interaction on Talking Smack, which to me helped the SmackDown product overall by having by being basically a real live promo class captured to tape. Yeah. Um so that so SmackDown then kinda went down the tubes. What what has Raw been like throughout the brand split era? I think it's been a lot of experimentation without any forethought. You know, putting the two oh five guys on there and giving them their own brand, but then taking away what was special about the CWC uh, for them really hurt. I think that the Divas Revolution and how they handled the women's wrestling to try and augment the product was really, really cynical in many ways and really did not work, and it was meant to get... I mean, for the most part, it was used as a product to help Stephanie get better press rather than to strengthen the raw on-screen product. It's been a lot of... You know the same. You know, getting Roman over, getting Brock. You know his time, and two weeks ago when the ratings really bottomed out and they were, they decided to start throwing things in the build to this great balls of fire. It was you know you saw the instincts kick in. It was time to bring on a John Cena as a special guest free agent. It was time to push the big guys and to split up tag teams and to take the guy that you saw as more marketable. So you know I think it's. It's been a lot of the same raw playbook, and they just haven't. Uh, I mean, and and what they do is they just blame the people that they they blame the ingredients rather than the chef. Yeah, and you know, obviously, being three hours can't help either. No. <laughs> <laughs> what do you What do you think of the three hour thing? Do you think it's overblown, or do you think it's fair? Oh, it's very fair, especially if you watch live, which I don't anymore. I, I watch it the next day. And I edit out the commercials, and I go on the elliptical, and I watch it because I I just cannot sit through. What the commercials do is make me realize how miserable I am at times watching <laughs> this product. And but they've had some good programs, some great three-hour programs. When they set something up as a through line for the entire show, that's when they really do their shows well. But the, the whole twenty-minute promo to begin the show, you know. You can tell how they've segmented everything out. I mean, when something goes wrong is when it gets really interesting. It's kind of become Saturday Night Live in that respect, in that you watch for the live aspect to see, like, the LeVar Ball segment 
fascinated me to no end because of the car crash aspect of it. It was like, my I think my terminology was it was like giving a four-year-old a chainsaw and seeing what would happen. I mean, th- those are great, but but it's very cynically segmented out to me, and it really. The, the 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 three hours isn't what bugs me. It's that they put on every feud every week, and they do the fifty fifty booking to make you think it's a build, and it really isn't. So the, it, uh, yeah, the car the 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 th- watching for something going wrong thing to me is an interesting comment because I the only the only raw that I actually watch all the way through every year now is the raw after Mania. Yeah, just because that that crowd just creates that variable that they can't control and ends up being really unique television but every other week it's just you know if i turn on raw it's like the the especially later in the show the crowd is just like among the deadest wrestling crowds you'll yeah because because they've they've i mean what the wwe has been very very good at is conditioning audiences at to what they should care about when they should care about something in a match and most audiences aren't going to care about a match until they see that first signature move which might mean it's time for finishers so up until that point you're just kind of wasting time and the audience is sitting on their hands so do you think the the modern WWE wrestling style then has like you said conditioned fans not to care about wrestling is that a big issue yes I, I think partly because you can watch a great television match and easily forget it in a week when you have three more hours of product out there. I mean, it, it's it's one of those things where memorable, there's so much product out there right now that memorable moments in matches are few and far between, so you kind of have to do that. And also, I guess, to an earlier point, WWE audiences don't care about great matches. On the whole, wrestling fans care about great matches. People who have been, I mean, we're now on the second or third generation of fans post-Attitude Era. Depending on if they have exposure to the indies, this is the only product they've ever had exposure to. So they are looking for the funny skits, um, you know, the, 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 you know, do they get to see a celebrity, do they get to see the stars, and again, to take another bit of knowledge that accidentally drops through this whole product you know William Regal on his table for three said you're never remembered for great matches you're remembered for the moments that you know for for certain moments where you moved people in emotionally like to him his proudest moment in WWE is is coming out cross-dressed which I just go no you're one of the greatest technical wrestlers of all time how can you say that you're one of your proudest moments is when you came out in women's clothing to the cheers of the audience. It, it literally made me angry watching this because I go, I know he's right, but I don't want him to be right. And I think that's what a lot of wrestling fans do when, say, their favorite indie stars come into the WWE. They know that they can be these guys who who do great matches and get the audiences behind them. But week after week after week of doing the same kind of moves, I mean, you look at a guy like Neville, and it's only been recently when he came up with this heel character where people have actually been moved by him, and people still now go to the snack bar during the 205 matches. Yeah, and the ne- Neville is such a great example because I watched him I watched him for years and years in Dragon Gate put on <laughs> outstanding matches and be this, this wrestler that people were very invested in, and to, to the point where like when he left, people cried. And then I turned on WWE, and he was just, you know... He's a guy. For the long, before the heel turn, especially, he just he came out with his cape. 
He did his flips, and he was gone. I mean, <laughs> oh, yeah. Was... Yeah, no, the same thing happened with me and these PWG guys who continue to go to the WWE, and we have this heartfelt goodbyes and things like that, and then you you watch, and then they, they do them okay in NXT, and then once they get to the main roster, they, they, they literally forget any history that they ever had in NXT other than maybe they held a belt. But they don't use that to build the character on the main television show. And the disconnect between the two shows is so vast that you really have to get the audience to learn how to react. And that's also why that 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 wrestle that the, the Raw and the SmackDown after WrestleManias are so important. That's how a guy that's how an uh, moderately entertaining and not terribly great wrestling act like Enzo and Cass really got over is because the entire audience was shouting their catchphrases during during their intro and popped for them huge. I mean, it gave them such momentum going in. Yeah. Um, let's see, what else? Did you, any, any, like, are there any criticisms of WWE that you see over and over again that you think are unfair? Oh. <laughs> that I think are unfair. I, I don't think you can find criticisms to be unfair because everybody has a different opinion and a different attitude towards what they're watching. So not not to say that I, I you know, I think it's unfair when let me put it this way. I think we as wrestling commentariat and people who do podcasts and people who interact with wrestling Twitter put a much higher bar on what they expect the WWE to do versus what the WWE is looking to do. Like, the criticisms I found, I didn't find them unfair, but I found them naive in some ways, was, like, the women's money in the bank. When they didn't give the the quote-unquote historicalness of the moment its proper due. And I kind of, you know, I understood the criticisms that, oh, it should have been a straight money in the bank match with none of this interference and none of this none, none of this gimmicky type crap that they did. But at the same time, they aren't looking at us to, to, to you know, it, it's funny because um, the co-host on, on the SmackDown show I do, post-show do I do, uh, says that um, you know, she was very she was very angry as a woman because she goes, the moment everybody's going to remember is James Ellsworth climbing that ladder and grabbing the briefcase. And I said, that's exactly the mo- moment they want you to remember. That's going to be the moment where 20 years from now, when these kids are taking their kids to wrestling, you remember the time James Ellsworth climbed that ladder and grabbed the briefcase? Oh, ho, ho, that was so funny. So I think the only really undue criticism I have is... Don't raise your expectations <laughs> so high that you're disappointed by the reality of what they do. Yeah, that's. I think that's fair. And also, um, I also think for a lot of people, when they make that connection, that might be when they just stop watching. Yeah, no, is... it is, and there's nothing <laughs> wrong with that either. If you're if you're disappointed, and you can, oh, and you can, f- you okay there? Yeah, my microphone fell down. I'll <laughs> okay. No, if, if you can find a better wrestling product that more caters to your needs, there's plenty out there. You don't need to watch the WWE. You can give your money to Dragon Gate or to New Japan World or to Flow Slam. And that and that's a great... Or, or Southern Indies, you know, if you have a local Southern Indie that you really, really like. 
Um, yeah, the moment where your intelligence is just to the point where I am so vastly insulted because they don't, they 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 kind of it's it's like a bad marketing company that's doing a lot of uh, focus group testing to think of the dumbest way to bring across a message. They don't write as if their audience is smart. They write as if they're dumb and need to expe- be explained everything over and over again. When you hit that breaking point, sure, go away for a while until you hear about a big match that's coming up like Joe and and Brock, which I'm excited for, but I could also see them honestly doing Brock squashing Joe in about two minutes. It, it could go either way for me. <laughs> um, so when you... Speaking of people leaving, does it, do you think... When you, when you look at like wrestling Twitter and the the niche wrestling fan base, the hardcore wrestling fan base, do you think we really are losing more of them nowadays, or do you think that's um, just a perspective kind of thing? Because it well, feels like it's more to me. It feels like we're losing more of them. I do. WWE. But I think it's I think it's cyclical. I think, and I think also you know it depends on mainstream popularity of wrestling as a whole and the trickle down effect therein. I, I think. You have a lot more hard... I think the the wrestling hardcore fans of smaller promotions are far more knowledgeable than they used to be, say, back before the internet and back before you could communicate instantly. And t- I mean, when you were relying on, say, after mags for results and things like that. But I also think, look, it's never going <laughs> to... It's never going to be cool until it is. It, it's one of those things where wrestling's never going to slowly achieve coolness it's going to get that moment that flashbang moment and it depends on if they materialize or not on it to make it cool again um the last time we really had a moment like that was the cm punk pipe bomb promo and they chose because they were scared of the heat and they are scared of not being able to control the buzz about it and they weren't able to control it they 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 basically blew all the goodwill that they were getting in mainstream media over that but, I mean, if you talk to your average person, they still view pro wrestling as that, oh, that fake carny stuff I used to watch as a kid. And then I grew up out of it. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to happen. But, um, but, okay, so from the other perspective, too, as far as, like, the bubble goes, are, do you think more and more people are just giving up WWE? Or is that, again, like a perspective kind of thing? Like, they're moving on to other promotions just because there's so many other options out there? Or is that just kind of like a weird way of looking at it? No, I, I think it, it's very weird because even even the most hardcore of hardcore indie fans will still want to come to WrestleMania because it's WrestleMania type of thing, if you know what I'm saying. I mean, we, we, we eventually come back to the big ship to follow it, but we don't have to follow it as closely as we, as we once did. So that gives us the time to explore the things we like. Or the things we want to watch, we you know we, so many fans now get their WWE knowledge through the YouTube clips of the next day rather than watching the full three-hour show, and until WWE figures out a way to combat that, or to you know get to the point to drive people to want to watch all three hours live, I mean the DVR generation is, I mean we have options and. Whereas we didn't before. I don't know if the fan base is fewer. I just think they're not as engaged live with the product as much as they need to be because they don't have to be. 
Yeah, that's. I think that's definitely a good point. And as far as like engagement goes, they obviously have so many other options that can drive their attention spans and make it like obviously if you were watching pro wrestling in 1998 even you really had two two mainstream options and then maybe like some other indie had tv Mm -hmm. whereas nowadays obviously almost everything is available online yeah and and everything is now almost instant in terms of results and things of that nature i mean Within, I mean, when I did live updates or live recaps of Raw, they wanted they wanted it on the site within an hour. So an hour after the program happens, I can go to a website, I can read the results, I can decide what's worth it, what's not, based on that critic's thing, and then I can seek it out later the next day. I don't have to. I don't have to wait. I don't have to record. I don't have to do anything. Yeah. Um, so when it comes to WWE and. Um, Okay, I'm going to cut this out because I lost my train of thought. <laughs> there was another question I had, and then I totally lost track of what I was going to say. Go ahead. I got plenty of time to think of it. Yeah. Let me see. There was, like, one other big one. Okay, I got it. Okay. So, the <laughs> the WWE um, the, the WWE Universe... One thing I think a lot of people have noticed, and I made this point myself recently on Twitter, and which got a lot of retweets and a lot of heat at the time, is that basically um, the the booking of WWE post universe is almost like a post wrestling promotion kind of where the actual results don't really seem to matter too much. Um, first of all, would you agree with that premise? Yes. And what do you think it's doing to wrestling as a whole to have that kind of to have that kind of feeling in the in the booking of major pay per views? I I think it's filling time, filling space to fill space in many ways, and there's not as much emotional engagement with the product, as and it, it's you know when we were going about cold audiences earlier that were conditioned. I mean, the thing that popped a crowd most was a thirty second match with with. Uh, Goldberg and 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 Lesnar this year, or I think it was last year actually in November, and it, nobody was expecting that. And you're like, oh wow, you know when it, what it does is it it lulls you into a sense of complacency, a lot of times, and that's you know Vince's, you know if you if you've listened to Triple H talk about Vince, he goes, think of every day as your first day on the job. Well, they also think of that in terms of one loss records as well. Um, it's just filling space with characters who say things that don't really matter to fill the space and do, you know, you, you win a match, I win a match, we blow it off at the pay-per-view, you move on to the next guy. And what it's done is it's made everybody accept the people that they feel are important, unimportant, and when they come back to decide, okay, maybe we need to do something with this guy, they'd much rather find someone new then use the people that they already had. It's that new toy syndrome, so to speak. And then obviously, too, the you know the other big critique that I think plays into this is with you know guys like Goldberg and the former big the former stars that come back and immediately overshadow the entire roster because they haven't been booked in this you know in this post wrestling hell. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, so that's a, a cool a follow up question. What it, what is the reliance on the past stars mean for wrestling's future like eventually we have to run out of old guys right 
you you'd think that, wouldn't you? But <laughs> I mean, I thought that ten years ago, and, and they still keep on popping up. It's it's amazing to me. Um, I I think it's bad overall. I do. I I you know I look at. I always said I've been saying for weeks now, and it's driving people who like me actually crazy that Bailey is a million dollar character, and they just absolutely burned through anything good about her and have wasted all that money that was possibly on the table when she wasn't as well known as she is now. What it does is it makes it it, it tells the audience only these guys who were here when it was very very popular are special. These guys don't matter that much. And yeah, they may put on a great match, but really, are they memorable? Are they memorable like a Goldberg? Like, I think you're going to get Kurt Angle at WrestleMania next year, possibly, yeah. fighting. You know, the, 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 they always seem to find the guy that's on their last legs but has one last good match in him, and, and we may have five or six more years of this still because The Rock can still possibly have a match. Angle, Jericho will definitely probably come back you know, after a couple years off in there, you're going to keep getting this until basically Triple H can't get in shape anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, and, and it really is disappointing to me because, I, you know, I could see being frustrated if it were me sitting there and going, look, I busted my ass here all year, and you can't think of anything for me to do other than the Andre the Giant Battle Royal. Screw yeah. you guys. You know, that that's to me... It disheartens me to many ends because it's like watching a tribute show in some ways, and I don't want wrestling to be that necessarily. I like having old school style. I just don't necessarily like having old school in there. Yeah. And then, you know, the the other question I've always had is, you know, we're in the 2030s or whatever. Um, Would will they just bring back the people from now and act like they're the big old stars and will that work? Because I could see them trying it and be like, ah, oh, here's here's Shinsuke Nakamura. Here's Kevin <laughs> Here's Kevin Owens. I could see Kevin Owens being, you know, those guys that they actually did eventually get to the top do, yeah, doing like a very simple match with whoever the guy is now. Sure. Those guys that are like 20, 30, 20, 25 right now, you know, and, and in what? 12 years being the guys on top. Sure. I I can see that. Yeah. Oh, Kevin Owens. He was a big, and Kevin Owens, but see, Kevin Owens has a mouth. He can talk. He'll, he can get that program over Shinsuke. I don't, I don't see that (laughs) happening necessarily. I mean, I don't really like how they're dealing with him now, but you know, the guys like the guys who were quote unquote personalities of then of now, uh, in, in 12 years or so. Sure. I could see, Kevin Owens being put out there. I could see a Kevin Owens El Generico slash Sami Zayn ladder match in twelve years, you know, when both yeah. can't shouldn't be doing it. You know, I could see them, you know, oh, it's Jinder Mahal. <laughs> Former WWE champion Jinder Mahal. Oh yeah, everybody. sure. You know, I could yeah. see Randy being a guy they bring back, you know, John Cena when he decides, you know, to kind of half you know, in five, six years when uh when it, maybe he's been off TV for two years, bringing him back. You're always going to have the guys that they made champs. You know, Braun Strowman's young still. You know, you, Bray Wyatt comes out and cuts some rambling, stupid promo. Yeah, mm-hmm. sure, you can have that. You know, and they'll, oh, I remember that from my childhood. Let's cheer and turn yeah. on our phones and wave them. <laughs> it's just so interesting to me because when you when you you know as a fan of Japanese wrestling, what what happens with the older guys is they're always they they never leave. Right. But they never, but they never get above a certain level again, and I guess that has its good and its bad. Where like, 
you know, where you have a Jushin Liger in the best of Super Junior this year, and people are, are kind of clamoring for him to get one last big run, and they're so insistent on not having the old guys overshadow the current guys that he's, you know, he's getting one win out of eight or whatever. But That's a fine story to tell for one guy. Uh, but but it also makes it far more realistic. Like, I mean, I'll give you an example. One of the best wrestling programs ever is that Terry Funk, Ric Flair program from 1989 in the, in the NWA. And Terry Funk at that time had been off NWA television for a few years. He was considered old when he was making that run in his goofy stint in the WWF. So he was this middle-aged, if you can imagine, 1989, he was considered over the hill. <laughs> uh, still went on for 12 more years after that. Guy who was just treacherous, and then you could build that into something of heat. Whereas you also had like a guy like Bob Armstrong, who was middle-aged, but he never got above the mid-card, but he was still well-liked and well-loved, but it made sense for him to only get to a certain point and only get to wins. I actually like that. I mean, look, if you told me I'd be watching a 10-room match in 2016-17, in <laughs> I, I would have called you a liar, but here we are, and you know what? They, they do right by their veterans by still giving them they still give them their their credit and their due and their toughness heft inside the ring while also saying, yeah, they, they can't really go as fast as they used to or as hard as they used to anymore. I yeah, like that story. It's almost realistic where, like, the, yeah, they can't, they can't beat the current guys. And it doesn't make the current guys look bad. Like, okay, I, I, I just th- – that's my disconnect with the current WWE where it's like, you know, we're – when you bring in the old people, basically, and put them over the current current crop, it's like, well, why is a 45-year-old wrestler able to be a 25-year-old wrestler that's been here all year long? Or why is he getting more, these made event slots the 25-year-old wrestler can't get? And oh, you and very... I are totally... Yeah, we're simpatico on that. When I thought the worst move they did was having Goldberg spear Kevin Owens. Yeah. I was like, I was like that's your current... Ch- you need to protect that guy. You know, you can have him beat up a Heath Slater or something, you know, someone disposable like that, but a guy who's main event, yeah, sure, you're you're doing you're giving him you're giving Goldberg main event credibility by saying he can still go, but you're doing it at the expense of the rest of your roster and telling us we shouldn't care about these guys cuz we're going to bring in someone who's even better and we're just going to we're going to feed them to him. That Rusev segment, oh my god. Yes. Like that that was one of my last draws for actually like not watching anymore. But like I just a, a guy that I was emotionally invested in, that a guy that I really loved, to watch him just get destroyed by this old man, just that was just like I just couldn't take it. But <laughs> I don't know. Um speaking of Rusev, what that well, where is he these days? Uh, off TV, and they keep on teasing him coming back. I'm just, I'm getting, I'm, it's driving me nuts because I like him. I think they're gonna basically just stick Lana back with him and do that act again. Yeah, which better than not being on television, I guess. Um, all right, so I guess we can kind of wrap up the WWE portion. Unless, let me. Is there anything else you want to say about what, what, what does it mean to be a WWE fan 2017, and what do you think people are doing wrong? Um, I think wrestling fans come to WWE expecting the wrestling that they see in other promotions, and I think that's wrong. I think they need to temper certain expectations. I think if they really want to be engaged, I think that NXT product does so many things right, especially with if you're a women's wrestling fan. No promotion 
in America has ever treated women better other than that short maybe two or three year run of TNA when they had Kong and Gail Kim and uh, Hamada who I loved and and, and uh, cheerleader Melissa playing three different characters because she was so great in, in it. Uh, you know they, they do the tag team wrestling correctly which is old school which I like um, they really build good stories and good feuds there if you come into the main roster curb your enthusiasm except for those main event product uh, programs I think um, just expect that they're kind of filling space to market stuff I think I think you, you need to kind of view it as entertainment rather than quote unquote what you want out of wrestling because it's going to be rare but you can find it I mean you should still follow the product I think if you really like wrestling you should still follow the WWE because they do do some things right they do invest heavily in production and occasionally you'll get a program like a Joe Lesnar that will hit your sweet spot but you know I, I you know the, the pay-per-views are still quite good what they do on them the, the, the big events that they do up they do them up right so it's always great to watch those and it's always and never miss an NXT takeover because every time I think it's going to go down in quality it always continues to improve so that's basically WWE everybody and um, you know I personally I don't I don't watch the weekly television anymore but once you I, I feel like you, there is some good stuff to still watch on the pay-per-views of you um, if you give it a shot I guess yeah. I, I, although I haven't really watched this year's pay-per-views either so um, go watch the NXT takeovers should I, the t- you the, should watch those the, the takeovers I, I usually do watch although I didn't see this last one Oh, yeah. they have a they have a great breakup angle on there. It's really really. Yeah, good. I saw the angle on YouTube. That basically ends up ha- being how I watch WWE. I watch the angles on YouTube the day at. So I guess I'm that person, but I don't know. I don't have the time to watch sit through entire shows anymore for them. Um, the, the one thing we didn't touch upon actually at all. What is has, what do you, what is the commentary been like now? Do you think it's improved at all over like? the real dark era or is it still is it still the dark era I've never been a fan of WWE commentary in many many ways ever since Gorilla and, and Bobby broke up I mean there were to- there were spurts where I liked it like uh, when Jim Ross and, and Paul Heyman were together on commentary and you could tell Heyman was annoying Jim Ross I loved it because it felt the animosity there was at least real even if the commentary wasn't necessarily because it's like it's nothing but catchphrases and 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 shilling and just it's bad it, it's but i didn't like I, I don't have i don't have a lot of nostalgia for jr and the king because i always thought jerry lawler was terrible yeah um i mean i was interested in your answer to that because i almost feel like when i whenever i do turn on wwe the commentary might be the biggest turnoff for me as far as actually being able to take it seriously or I don't know yeah. the, the, the quote unquote the feel of the promotion is what I always tell people that that feels off to me when I watch it and what makes me like nothing feels like important or nothing feels like it's actually something I need to be watching and it's just like that feel of everything feeling like kind of same and kind of corporate and kind of like yes dour like that, that is the that is the atmosphere I get when I when I went to, I went to Raw and SmackDown after WrestleMania. It feels very sterile. That's yeah, how it, sterile, it feels. Very controlled. Is a great word. Yeah. It feels controlled. It feels contrived. It feels like every emotional every emotion I'm supposed to have 
has been has been written out to the to the to the time I should be having it, as opposed to me naturally getting there. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I'll, I'll t- my favorite commentary team of all time was when Jr. and Tony Schiavone were on together during NWA because it felt like a sports type of thing where they were heightening each other. I really enjoyed those types of things. I, I think they were. I mean, especially adding this th- third person in the booth who is usually superfluous and giving just stupid statements all the time just really just makes me... My test is always if someone walks into the room while I'm watching, would I be embarrassed? And I am right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's very true. And like, I, and I feel like that's almost the, the biggest reason why I haven't even watched the pay-per-views this year. Is that like that, that sterile feeling just... I don't know. It comes... Like, I watched... I watched the Rumble match itself. I watched AJ Cena, which was a fantastic match, by the way. And I watched like half of WrestleMania, and nothing I saw made me feel like I was missing, um, missing something in my life by not watching this. Right. But, I mean, and that might just be my age, and you know, I as a kid going to like the Norfolk Scope and listening to screaming people watching Dusty and Flair go out, and and they they were screaming for two hours during the entire show, or even like this G One show shows this past weekend. I mean, that crowd, with the exception of the Billy Gunn match, was hot from start to finish. Yep. So we're, we're that's a good transition to that, but final thoughts on WWE, I guess. Um, pretty much a lot of what Jeff said, I feel like, is true, and if... I'm going to give them another shot this weekend because I do want to see Joe Lesnar, mm. so I, I might just watch that match and, instead of trying to sit through an entire pay-per-view. But, um, but yeah, I mean... There's good. There's good wrestling. Is, is I would, what I would yeah. say. There's and I, good I would wrestling. Watch, if I were you, I'd watch the pre-show too, just because I think that Tazawa Neville match will be pretty good. Oh, and it'll be up, up my wheelhouse too. See how how disconnected I am. I didn't even know that was happening. <laughs> but I should definitely check that out too, probably. But yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's worth checking out. But I I can't say I I really can't actually say strongly enough that you probably shouldn't watch the weekly television unless you're doing two podcasts about it for instance mm. but other than that i can't really recommend it um but that was our we discussion and now let's transition into the g1 specials in the usa two shows that i did see on um on television and two shows that jeff was actually at um yes. i guess first what what kind of what, what was your impression of the the long beach convention center what, what it looked like a big big cavernous like um hall basically is that kind of what it was it wasn't as big as it may have appeared because they only used about half the hall i say they used the other half for concessions and uh <laughs> that concessions was its own problem that was really the only problem in in their entire you know setup of the thing but the crowd was really pushed against um you know the ring. It was about there's I think two thousand or three thousand people there, so the, the 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 sound was loud when the crowd was loud, which was great. It didn't it didn't just kind of go up in the air, kind of how I compared to my local arena, Staples Center. You have to be you know everybody has to be screaming at once to fill that place with sound. Otherwise, it just goes up and it feels vacuous. It wasn't like that here. Um, you know, it it it, uh, it it felt like a bigger version of the Legion Hall that re- that they run in Reseda, pretty much, but with better production. And thank God they had a jumbotron because because the one problem that that 
running these convention centers. They had this in Dallas for NXT. They had it here in some ways. If you go to the floor and everybody's at floor level, if you're not in the first three rows, you can't see what's going on. Yeah. So, but they at least, I mean, they, they did have a couple of issues with that on, on the on the big screen that they had. But overall, it was it was a pretty darn good setup, I thought. Could you, this is my own nerd question here. When you guys came in, could you see, like, the card game area for, like, the card game tournaments they're doing in the same building? Um, we passed by, uh... Was there was like a is, is that the anime card game or yes. something to that yeah. effect they were doing they they were down the hall from that but we passed by that hall yes so they, was it still going when the when the wrestling shows were going like was it they were going simultaneously uh, I believe um, on the first day they were going I believe on yeah. Saturday it was still going and on Sunday they were not it's interesting because Bushi Road obviously they they make all those card games and they that's they what kinda, it was yeah yeah they kind of have like they they had their own like. Um, these card game tournaments going at the same t- the same venue, which I thought was interesting. Um, <laughs> my other my other nerd question: Were there people who were obviously there from um, Anime Expo? Like, did you see people in Anime Expo stuff or in cosplay? Um, if if there were, there weren't that many of them, or they had changed their clothes. I got you. Okay, because that's a, that was an interesting question to me too: is how, what kind of crossover there was between the two events since Anime Expo was going on, like. How how LA at Long Beach is really like, Oh there was there was a lot of things going on. There was like a pirate convention going on, so you saw people walking the streets like outside the convention center as pirates. Uh there was a veterinarian's conference going on. <laughs> I mean you had all sorts of uh things within the streets, but not a lot of crossover from from what I saw. Uh, that unless they all had black t-shirts that said Bullet Club on them. <laughs> well, how far away is Long Beach from LA proper? Um like it's a half a, hour or something? Oh, no, uh, oh half well, hour if you're lucky with traffic. I mean, with yeah. traffic, it takes a good hour and a half to get there from L.A. proper. I see. Okay. So they're, they're, they're kind of close, it's, but not... I'd say it's about 30 miles. Yeah. So with the, that's to tell you what L.A. traffic is like, everybody. Yes. Been, yes. If, it, <laughs> if it says 20 minutes, add an hour to it, you'll probably be right. I, I've, I've been there a couple of times, and I, I rented a car... One of the times, <laughs> so I remember. I remember driving in LA. It was, it was an experience. Um, you mean sitting in LA? <laughs> sitting in LA, yeah. Um, I mean, once you actually get past a certain point, it, it, it's very enjoyable, just because you're yes. you're on these highways that like weave, and the scenery is great. But then once it you know comes to a dead stop, you want to die. Yes. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, so that, that that's an interesting thing. Just they're running the same weekend as Anime Expo, and I when they first announced that, I was wondering like what kind of crossover there's going to be. But it seems like it seems like this was like a really hardcore New Japan crowd, like a lot of fly-ins probably. Oh yeah, no, I, I had a bunch of friends who flew in. I think you had a heavy crossover from the sparse Ring of Honor people who are into it also, um, or at least who know these guys. But a very heavy independent wrestling crowd. Like I, I swear I saw. At least half of the regulars of PWG that I usually see there. Well, that um, totally, that totally makes sense. Yeah. yeah, and and no, very smart. Uh, some newcomers. I had a person night one sitting next to me. <laughs> he goes, "Yeah, I'm just from Minnesota. We just moved to San Francisco. Heard New Japan was gonna be here. Heard it was the best wrestling there was. My 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 girlfriend wants to know who the guy with the hair is, and I go, "Oh, that's Hiroshi Tanahashi. He's uh-huh. considered one of the best wrestlers in the world. You know. So you did have a few noobs. You had a lot of 
a lot of people who are on the Bullet Club train just to be on the Bullet Club train, I think. Um, because they found the shirts and they started getting into the Young Bucks and, and Omega and even, you know, some holdovers from the uh, from the Finn Balor, uh, AJ Styles era of it. But it's, but it's taken on a life of its own in terms of the NWO um, for, for kind of the indie scene quite a bit. But um, everybody kind of knew. I mean, everybody knew who everybody was. Um, the only... The, the the reactions were about what I expected, but I did not expect the two guys who got bigger reactions than I thought they would just from an American crowd were Kushida and Knight and Naito. I, th- yeah. I thought um, they were both. I mean, they were over at almost the level of a Young Bucks type of uh, type of performance. So the Naito one that that's interesting because that didn't quite come across on television. Like I I was surprised. The Naito reaction sounded a little quieter than I expected, but big from the Hispanic fans, especially who love Ingo mm, Bernables. That makes sense. Um, so let's talk about the actual shows themselves. The first okay. night on Saturday, this this did two thousand three hundred and seventy fans. It was um, aired live on Access Television. We don't really have to go match by match, but what were first of all, what was your personal highlight of the show? Uh, <laughs> I need to get the results in front of me because I just <laughs> forgotten all the matches I've watched in the past two days. Okay, here's a before you, before you get into that, the main event. What was so this was a very pro Bullet Club crowd, but they still f- hated Cody. So what yes. what do you think about that? Um, I I think that's proper. I think there's there's uh, I mean there there was a great fear amongst a lot of the fan base that oh they may actually put this belt on Cody Rhodes. I that, think, that definitely came across on television. Like I, yes, I said that when I was watching. Like this is a this is a New Japan hardcore crowd that is scared shitless that this that that Stardust basically is going to end the the year plus title reign of Okada, right? So, but that's I mean that's the vibe I got on television too. No, I, 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 yeah, it was one of those things where, where they, they really want Omega to be crowned the champion to eventually, I think, overcome Okada, even though they love Okada. I think that's what, what the thing was, and they go, oh, if Cody gets this, then we may have to wait a while. Um, yeah, no, that, that's, the, that's the weird thing, and, and Cody, I don't know, what did you think of Cody's work here? Because I, mm-hmm. I saw mixed reactions where, like, especially, like, David Bixon's fan was going, oh, he missed every move out there. Mm. I didn't think it was that bad, but I also think Cody Rhodes, in a way, probably should have not gone on the indies immediately and maybe taken a year in the New Japan dojo to learn a bit of a tougher style. I would definitely agree with you there. I mean, I I thought this match was not that great. Um, I gave it like two and a quarter, so I was not a big fan of it at all. And I saw a lot of other people that like had it like four and a quarter Mm -hmm. and higher, which is like... I was very, I was very amazed by that reaction. Like I, I didn't think they were, I didn't think it was awful, but the, like I did see Cody blowing some spots. I got where Bix was coming from with that. There were a couple things with like the his his for some reason they they really did not have the timing right on his springboard kick, and like yeah. the teases of it, like they just that looked really awkward every time they did it. And there were a couple other examples that I'm not that aren't coming to my mind right away, but like there was a, they just looked awkward in a few different places. Um, the in considering how smooth Okada usually looks, I have to kind of blame it on Cody. Uh, the as far as like the people giving him a lot of credit for his stalling and like getting in the crowd heat, but like I, like I said, I think that was a New Japan hardcore crowd that was going to be scared shitless of Cody winning, like almost regardless of what he did. 
So I felt yeah. like the the amount of credit he was getting for working the crowd, I I thought was really overblown. I don't know. Yeah, if you, no, you were, I, you were I, in the crowd, so you could tell me better than I, me, probably. Well, he was. He, I mean, Cody played his role as a guy that the crowd hated to a T. I thought. I thought he was really, really great um, <laughs> in terms of you know just even the stalling to begin the match, where he went to go. Ki- he went to kiss Brandy, who was in the front row and had come down with him. I, I think that was really, really. Um, you know, that, I mean, he, he he played this crowd like like the, like a guy who. Who everybody everybody kind of uh, begrudgingly likes him for being in the Bullet Club, but they also just don't want to see him be that main guy in the in the uh, in the promotion that they love most. Um, okay, I have the results in front of me, so yeah. I can uh, I can but, I can tell you what, what shocked me and what but, but, but uh, continue. But about Okada Cody, so I don't. I mean, I don't know if you do star ratings or not, but I but like no. the. I, I go. Do I like it? Do I didn't? Did I dislike it? Or did it offend my nostrils to the point like, where I hate like it? people people calling it like a a really really good match? I would. Would you agree that may have been overstating it, or do you think? Do you think it was on that level? I think it was a good match. I wouldn't go with very good. I I, I thought it was. I thought it wasn't. Um, and I think this is partially due to the expectations that were put on the match as this is Cody's biggest match of his career and he really needs to come out and show something for it. It didn't live up to that, but it was a perfectly fine wrestling match where they were teasing putting the belt on a guy that that audience didn't want. Yeah, I mean, that's that's fair, I think. I just, the, the sloppiness parts of it didn't really, and, and when it comes down to it, like the stalling stuff, you know, I mean, the reaction I had to it was, this is New Japan's first show in America. Mm-hmm. Is this really what fans with these, with these almost 2,400 people came? Like, they did not pay to see Cody Rhodes stalling. Like, that's how right. the reaction I got. Like for this, And I get why that, that also kind of, that could also work in a way, but it almost just felt like, you know, why is this the main event of the show? Like, yeah. why am I watching Cody Rhodes kiss his wife? It's just, what the fans paid to see was Kenny Omega versus Michael Elgin, which I thought was a fantastic match. Um, oh, yes. I think I gave that four and a half. That was a really, really, really good match. Uh, no, I, think, I, I, I absolutely I think, I think my favorite match, match my favorite match of the whole weekend, I think. You know what? I'd, I'd make that argument. I, I, I would. I, I, need to, I need to take a look. Let me scroll down here. Do, 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 do. Mm-hmm. See what I would... No, I, I would say that was probably my favorite match as well. And, yeah. and I really think... It's funny because the, the Voices proper guys were talking about the downcycling of Michael Elgin. And I think Michael Elgin really came out and shined in this match against Omega. I mean, yeah, Omega won, but, I mean, you know, Elgin's doing, you know, your usual, the, 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 the stalled suplex spot. But he really, he was hyped to be in front of this crowd. And I really think it came through in his work. And I believe we're going to get that again in the G1 proper. I'm almost, yes, yeah, I think so. I think they're, they're the same. They're both in the B block, so that, that's pretty cool. Um, Actually, my favorite match of night one was the opener. I absolutely love that Chaos versus the Bullet Club 10-person mm, tag. That, that was pretty good. Yeah. Um, and I think it was just to, just to, uh, you know, just to open open up the... Uh, Oh, but, they, but I'm also I'm also a Briscoe's apologist in many ways. I love yeah. the Briscoe brothers just because I can watch their promos all day and never get bored. But I, I really and Marty Skrull is <laughs> I, I, Marty Skrull's just fantastic. I, I just think he he gets it in so many ways and can adjust his style to be either more playful or more vicious as need be. Um, I didn't get to see. I mean, you didn't get to see a lot of uh, Osprey that you really would have liked to. 
and the Bucks, I think, were kind of tempering their stuff to to wait for the next night's tag match that they could really pull out all the stops. But uh, I, I really enjoyed that opener. Um, you know, there wasn't anything that, that, that I didn't like other than maybe, you know, the Hunter Club, which <laughs> just... I mean, just... I, that, that, why they even exist is a great question at this point. <laughs> but... I, the one that over-delivered, I thought, for me, was uh, War Machine and Gorillas of Destiny. Mm. I really, you know I, know, I know it wasn't the smoothest match in the world, but when you make it no DQ and you're bringing in weapons, I don't necessarily want it to be smooth. That's where I kind of, I kind of uh, lose my 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 critics uh hat and i start watching as a guy who wants to watch a fight and wants to watch two two guys just hit each other with a lot of crap to try and win a match so i really i mean i I hadn't i'd seen war machine live earlier and the gorillas of destiny have been an act that i've had to grow on me for a while but uh i I really enjoyed that match Mm. i i that one i don't remember liking as much but it was it was fine the the issue I have with it is just another tag title change is kind of like yeah uh, they I'm they gonna, they they hot shot the titles a bit too much for my liking yeah it's, it's like uh, I don't I don't really know where they're going with that and and then on top of that to have the post match be which I guess you didn't see but to have um a night two War Machine told you know Hangman Page to go get a partner and challenge yeah. them at the G one final and it's like hmm the American Ring of Honor team. Versus Hangman Page and a partner at the G1 final. This is literally the exact same thing as last year, which basically says everything you need to know about how that division is booked. And yeah, I am overall not a fan of Hangman Page. What are, What about you? I'm not really. <laughs> no, I'm not really that into him. He had one really good match with Jay Briscoe on a Ring of Honor pay per view last year. That right. I would say was that like that match legitimately was a fantastic match. But I don't know what it was that he had magic that one night because. I've never seen him come close to that since. So, before or I will, since. I will, I will put this on the table for, for your opinion because I think we may differ a little bit, but I also just want to hear someone who's not as jaded about one of these guys as, as I am a little bit. Zack Sabre Jr. and Juice Robinson. Um, I thought it was a very good match. I, I thought they... It, it was it was shorter than I would have liked. It only went like 10 minutes. But yeah, I liked it. I mean, I liked I liked Zach, but I I haven't seen him. I haven't really seen him a lot. So is that the guy you're talking about being jaded? Yeah, about? I I am <laughs> I am not the world's biggest Zach Sabre Jr. fan. I have I have said this to much derision. I mean, I, he's he's gotten better for me in terms of my earlier criticisms because when I'd watch him in like PWG, I just got, I'd I'd be watching him on the ground. Just basically, he wasn't selling. He'd basically just be waiting to get up and hit a guy with a forearm or something. And I tend to find some of his offense a little too cutesy, as opposed to really trying to win a match. But well, I, 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 I was—I think he's better in New Japan from that from that perspective, yes. though, because he like he looks more vicious yes. when he's doing it. Here. And I think it's the Suzuki Goon, uh, you know, affiliation. Even though people can't stand that, yeah. I, I go, I go. Well, he has to be a little bit more heelish, which is kind of I think helping him in many ways. Um, I was very intrigued to see how Juice Robinson would do in this match, and I, you know, he, he's a lot taller in person than I than I thought he'd be he was um, way more no. over he was way more over than i expected him to be and that was he is of, very over yeah <laughs> part, of, part of the, the crowd being more hardcore than i expected them to be is that they just like if if you if you have a crowd full of people that had just seen the dome or whatever like they wouldn't have cared about juice robinson but these are clearly like a crowd full of people that watch new japan world and stuff like Liger being over, I understood. Naito's response was a little bit heavier than I thought. Juice Robinson being a guy that people were clamoring for a win, especially 
over the non-Zack Sabre Jr. Uh, contingent, which was strong in this thing. You know, the 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 especially amongst the PWG faithful who love him as their champ. Uh, I was not expecting Juice Robinson to get this 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 high huge of a reaction yeah. live, and it really I don't know if it came came out on TV oh, as it, being it, big. It, def- it definitely did. I mean, okay. I, was, I was pretty shocked by it because I didn't I didn't expect it going in at all. I, I thought he I thought he did well for himself. I won't I won't go so far as to say I really really loved Juice Robinson here. I think uh, some of his. Uh, He's obviously been watching his Y2J tapes in terms of getting charisma for 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 the in-ring stuff, uh, in terms of what he's yelling to the crowd to get fire. But um, you know his leg lariats are, are fantastic. I think <laughs> I yeah, really like that part that, of his game. He, he does a really good leg lariat. It's true. Um, so overall thoughts on night one? I assume you had a great time. Oh, I had a great time both nights. It, it was it was a it was a. I mean, night one was strong. Night two was um, epic. Let's put it that way. I, I really, I mean, I, I thought, I thought, well, that was a great night one. Let's see if night two can top that, and night two just absolutely blew it away. I thought. It's interesting, because watching them both on television, I actually like night one better. But okay. I guess we can get into that. So night- I liked, I liked night one with. See, the problem is there's no, the 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 match involving Billy Gunn night one was so short that you couldn't be offended by it. <laughs> well, that, that is a, that is a good point, actually. Um, so night two did 2,305 fans at the same location, July 2nd, 2017. Um, interestingly enough, a little a little tidbit for people if you're not aware. night the, There was Japanese commentary for both shows. Um, the night one had Kota Ibushi on commentary in Japan. Huh. And night two had Milano Collection AT. Now, did you COVID. watch any of the Did you watch any of the American commentary? Uh, th- that's all I, I heard. Was. It was dread. Yeah, I heard it was I, dreadful. I did watch the American commentary, and it was really bad. Yes. I okay. Mean, Access TV in general did a pretty bad job on that first live show, where like they they had they left their music on too long a few times, and like le- and had it over overplaying the the music in the arena. They had some really stupid choices to cut to commercial for that same... They had the same commercial for Sammy Hagar's, like, road trip. They played, like, ten <laughs> times. And they cut... Like, War Machine just won the titles. And at one point, it's like, here's... They're raising the belts up, like, as soon as the rough handed to them. And it cuts to the Sammy Hagar commercial for, like, the tenth time. Like, that was, like, okay. The, the production, yeah. <laughs> production was pretty bad. Um, I, I, guess, I, had, I had friends who did a show on access for a while i forgot the name of it it was like one of those talking heads vh1 type things mm. but they show like eight million commercials for it <laughs> i'm just like i'm tired of seeing my friends on commercial breaks <laughs> maybe i'll stop watching access the, the the first show yeah i mean the first show being live on access that was a big issue like as it got as you went along it got better but like it was definitely a problem the second show was on new japan world but interesting enough it was still like the access like you could tell it was going to be the same broadcast as on the Axis version. Like it had the same logos. It still had JR and, and Barnett, which I didn't expect. I thought it was going to be Kevin Kelly and uh and Cyrus. Right. But it so it still had JR and Barnett and they still talked like they were on Access, but then, you know, the quote-unquote commercial breaks would just be like a few seconds of then cutting back to the ring with no with JR and Barnett not making, you know, not saying anything. But the second night, just because it didn't have to keep cutting away to um, to Sammy Hagar, was a lot better. But <laughs> I thought from production... And, and some of the production errors, like, they didn't have the music playing over the Japanese theme music anymore, so that was good. Or playing over the, the, the ring entrance music anymore. 
So that was right. an improvement. But yeah, JR and Barnett were pretty terrible the entire weekend. Uh, Barnett <laughs> Barnett is okay. Um, sometimes when he like he starts randomly talking about how much he wants to bang Trish Stratus. Trish Stratus. I don't really know what that. I don't know what that has to do with anything. Yeah, but... <laughs> it makes me not want. It makes me not want to listen to his commentary on the women's tournament coming yeah. up for NXT. Well, no, no, that was Barnett, not Jr. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. So, so, <laughs> so J. I mean, Jr. Was just like he couldn't keep anyone. He couldn't keep people. You know, like he thought evil was bushy at one point, which. Two people that couldn't look less alike, honestly. I heard he make, he mixed up the Briscoes. He mixed so, up I mean. the Briscoes, which yeah, I mean, one of them has hair, one of them doesn't. That's not that. Yes. Um, and then like you know, there there are a couple other ones like that. And then the, the funniest one to me was Osprey and Zack Saber Jr., which again, they do not look anything alike. They just they, just <laughs> they do don't have both, a similar style. Yeah. They're both British, and then for some reason that one spread to Barnett because Barnett at one point called uh, Osprey Zack Saber Jr. or vice versa. So. It was very, it was very interesting. It was an interesting ride with the English commentary. It wasn't. It was very bad, honestly. But I mean, I they, there still is that trip of just hearing your childhood commentator call this stuff. That that is interesting. And <laughs> like when he's not totally screwing up, you can kind of be like, "This is Jr. calling New Japan. That's pretty cool." But then then he makes like a a really bad screw up, and you're like, "Oh, this actually sucks." Yeah, it, the surreal the surreality of it. It's like, "Oh, this is the guy from my childhood calling the stuff now," and then you go, "Yeah, and he's not as good as he used to be." <laughs> yeah, basically. But night two, obviously, the the big thing was the U.S. title tournament. Um, Kenny Omega and Jay Lethal. I think you and you and like everybody else on Earth loved this match a lot more than I did. So you should talk okay. about it. Uh, no, I, I liked it a lot because I thought Jay Lethal did did well for playing the guy who was injured and couldn't really go full speed. Um, what didn't you like about it? I don't know. It was, it was kind very, of curious. It was very it was very boring to me. And I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm not. Maybe if you're, do you watch Ring of Honor or no? Not not regularly. I okay, watch well, that, some of the bigger events. Because I was thinking maybe if you're more mostly invested in Ring of Honor and in Jay Lethal, you might care more. But like, I just I couldn't get into it at all. It just never okay. clicked. It never clicked with me. See, I thought I thought Lethal and, and Omega actually worked kind of well together, and then I read feedback. Oh, you saw Lethal missing all these spots. I was like, okay, maybe I missed something. But I mean, it was one of those things where I, I, the match itself was fine, but everybody was so far ahead that Kenny Omega was going to win this match that I think uh, it took a little bit of uh, took a little bit of sauce out of it. Well, so I, to I totally agree with that. that. That might be an issue I had. Where it almost fi- kind of felt like, well, can Kenny just get through this guy already? Where you know he's not losing, which so. is the opposite of my feelings about Ishii and Zack Saber yes, Jr. Because I, I had, I had no idea Ishii and was going to go over that. And I, I thought that was a very good match. And again, I, I didn't, I, I thought, like, I didn't have any idea he was going to win. I thought maybe Zack Saber, but um, to, to to see a match where it was very close was was a lot. Or it actually, you actually were left wondering who was going to win, unlike the last one. So that was good. Yeah, no, and I, I think I think night two Ishii was obviously the main the 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 MVP for me. I, I just think he was so great in both these matches. Yeah, I mean he would he had a, he had a hell of a night for sure. Um, the what do you think of the junior tag title match? Um, you know I really liked the story they told with uh with Trent Beretta and his back here. I thought that was smart. I I, I am not as big a Young Bucks fan as most people no, are. Oh, me neither. <laughs> because, because I, I just find some of their, some of their double team spots are so 
ludicrous at times. There was, there and, was one uh, spot in this match in particular that I want to get your thoughts on because this, okay. this like this made me like fly off the handle when I was watching it live, but no one else seemed to care. So I, I guess Matt Jackson's on the floor. Um, one of the Rapungi Vice members, I don't, I honestly don't remember which one, does a dive to the floor. For some reason, Matt Jackson just get he gets hit with this dive. Like this man collides into him. But he just has like an invisible force field or something because he does not yeah. react. He does not sell it. He just stands there. Let's let's. Uh, I think it was Romero bounce off of him, then picks him up, and they do that crazy Meltzer driver to the floor. Like I right. hated. I fucking hated that spot so much. <laughs> and no one else on Twitter see like people on Twitter were like, "Oh, that was there was there was like um, another writer on Voice of Wrestling, I mean Case Low, who was like, "Oh, that was the greatest spot I've ever seen." I'm like, he just no sold a dive. Like if if that was the key to countering a dive all this time, why isn't every wrestler just staying there and, and not reacting? I, I just I really hated that spot. I God, I love this. Yes, uh, bring more of your hate. Come, no, I, you know what? I I have issues anyways with strong style from time to time because it feels like the damage is, is just like video. Like, oh, I'll just put another quarter in the video game and get my life bar back, which drives me insane. Like, the things that drive me nuts, like like that kind of pile driver would put out a guy for six months during my my peak fandom as a child and now you can kick out at two after two pile drivers and it drives me insane and that happened a couple times during during the night that night but then i have to go look this isn't my wrestling anymore i can't be that old guy going wow back in my day that would have broke somebody's neck and we'd have an injury angle and you know it's it's the it's the when when you're 45 minutes into a match and you're still doing forearms to each other as tests of strength as opposed to showing the results of being hit in the head for 45 minutes. It starts to drive me a bit nuts, but then I also have to realize I'm not watching a fake fight. I'm watching a, an athletic exhibition, and that's how I feel about a lot of indie wrestling in terms of it being more of a a theme park stunt show. Than, than the wrestling I grew up with, and as soon as you accept that, it's a lot better. But yeah, no, I could see how this this, this spot would have driven a lot of people nuts, especially uh, it was what halfway through the match, or it was like no, the way through the, the match, yeah, almost the end, yeah. And like oh, you okay. know, I get, I understand. I've seen guys who are bigger than the than the guy diving on them, no sell a dive, and that kind of right. makes sense to me because it's like okay, well, you're such a big dude, you can catch him or you can let him bounce off. Matt Jackson is a tiny human being. Like why? What is the explanation for why he can just no sell this man flying at him, which always wipes out every other human being over take? It's just I don't know. It just that that one really, <laughs> that one really drove me fucking crazy. But. I'm, I'm gonna say something that's gonna lose me a lot of friends probably. Um, I I agree with everything about Trent Beretta's year being spectacular and him over delivering in many matches where I didn't expect him to, especially like when I watch him live at PWG, I always go, oh, it's another another Trent match. Number one, I didn't realize he's 30 because every time I see him like in, a, in an outfit with tassels, I always think, oh, look, the Young Buck's dad is wrestling because <laughs> he looks an old 30, and I just want to go, oh, it says, oh, oh, and now he's moving up to the heavyweights. I'm like, oh, okay, I didn't realize he was that young. Okay, great, because like, he, has, he has like wear and tear on him of an older wrestler, and especially with the with the hair and the sideburns, I just go, oh, the young buck's dad is wrestling. Great. But I did like him, uh, the way he sold his back throughout the match and how that was kind of the story of why they lost, because Rocky had to go through. I, I like 
Rapongi Vice far more than I ever did Forever Hooligans. Oh, I agree with that completely. Um, because I just couldn't stand. I couldn't stand the Babushka Alex Kozlov dance spot with the hat. I just, uh, it just always would take me out of any match I watched of theirs. And I think they just worked better together. And it's, I'm kind of, you know, I guess Romero's going to train in the dojo here in the U.S. So, uh, uh, you know, good for him. So the. Beretta as a as a heavyweight, I think it I think it's a cool idea. I mean, he'll be he'll be a good lower mid card to Mick Carter for chaos, and he's always been a tall junior anyway. But um, as far as his match itself goes, I just it just felt too much like the Young Bucks in Ring of Honor or PWG to me. Like where as in in, in New Japan, they kind of feel like they toned down a lot of the um, a lot of the more obnoxious stuff and a lot of the more. Uh, like non-stop spotty stuff a lot of the time, whereas this this show being in their backyard, I kind of expected them to be more like the Ring of Honor PWG Young Bucks. And yeah, this was this was. I mean, if all they needed was about thirty suckets in there, and they could have been PWG Bucks. This was very catered to. We want to put on a show in front of our hometown right yeah. now, type of thing. Which I which I understand, but it's just not it's not for me. So. At this point, like, it's just not... I mean, it, it was cool the first ten times I saw it, but, like, <laughs> the... Just, it's the same thing over... It's basically just like, okay, what's going to be the twist this time? Okay, it's just... I don't know. It's just not... It doesn't work for me anymore. I think when they, when they brought over Naito, who, in my book, is probably, you know, in the top three wrestlers in the entire world right now... I'd agree. They, they bring Naito over in Ring of Honor, and they have him and Bushi face them, and instead of taking advantage of having this incredible wrestler in the ring, they... They did every other Young Bucks match you've ever seen, except with, you know, Naito and Bushi may as well have been mannequins. Like that was a big, that was a big step for me as far as starting to outright dislike them. Like you have one of the best wrestlers in the world, you need to do something other than your standard formula. Okay, I mean that's just my opinion on the Young Bucks, I guess. Um, what about I? We already kind of touched on Tanahashi, Billy Gunn. I don't know if there's anything worth saying about it. It was, it was pretty. It was pretty terrible. I mean, <laughs> it was. It was a heavyweight style match that uh, just did not. They didn't c- click with each other at all. They really yeah. did not. It was. It was kind of. You could. You tell Billy was having some problems with some of the things he wanted to do, and it. it if I had thought about it, I would have gone to the bathroom at that point, probably. But no, I stayed in my seat for it. Um, yeah, it, the less said the better. It, it happened. Tanahashi wanted it. it. It didn't get the reaction that people wanted. And I don't think anybody ever thought Billy Gunn was going to go over. So I think, again, I mean, if, if you have a match where everybody's already ahead of the result, they're going to kind of tune out in many ways. Yeah, that's true, too. Um, so that's another issue with why I don't, I'm not sure why this match was booked, but what are you going to do, I guess? And then the main event, which I think was spectacular, Kenny Omega defeating Tomohiro Ishii in 31-20. Before we get to US. the good stuff, I want I want to oh. go on a couple, uh, ask you a couple things about the two uh, multi-man tag matches, uh, oh. the uh, Ingo Bernables versus uh, versus the uh, Luchadors and <laughs> and Juice Robinson. What what do you think of that one? I thought it was it was a very good um, Lij Ten Man. It was kind of by the numbers, but um, I don't know. Nothing really stands out about it in my memory right now. But it was it was good enough. I remember enjoying that more than I thought I would because I I like Lucha Libre, but I can find it very dance. <laughs> more like I'm watching a dance at times rather than a wrestling match. So my my skepticism can go at times. But I really and I thought Juice Robinson held his own. Um, 
you know, in a style that he's not necessarily adept at. Well, they, they, I've always found the luchadors, um, they transition remarkably well to Japanese wrestling. Yeah. A lot of times better than they transition to American wrestling, and I don't, I'm not quite sure why that is, but I, I assume someone who knows more about lucha than I do could probably tell me, but I've always found that they, they work pretty well in a Japanese wrestling environment, most and, of them. And this will gauge whether how <laughs> much you like sports entertainment versus anything. The Bullet Club versus uh, Chaos... Eight man tag, <laughs> I, five minutes I, of stalling <laughs> by Cody. What did you think of that? Because uh, I was I was ready to kill something. Oh, so. were you? Okay. I I hated. That. I mean, I, it's not. I get it. It's not what I want to see on a New Japan show, and um, I, the crowd was funny, but I just I wasn't into it. Yeah, not, see, I like, think that that's a live match rather than I'm wasting my time watching this on television. Yeah, match I think because I. Number one, I enjoy that. Number two, I doubt you can see this, but watching Jay Briscoe just get continually peeved that this match hasn't started yet. For some reason, that's what really got me. I mean, I love the Rick Rude spot, don't get me wrong, especially because Fale was wearing a, what is it, Make Jobbers Great Again shirt. I don't, do you know what that's even a reference to? I have no idea what that means. I have no idea what that's a reference to other than it's self-referential in some way, like a job squad type thing, but, uh, But, but, but it's funny him. he doesn't he doesn't do jobs ever. So as far as like what the hell is he talking about here? But okay. But I did say beforehand that it's possibly my favorite eight man tag group ever, being the Briscoes, Okada, and Will Osprey being together. For some reason, I just go, man, I wish I could watch a twenty five minute match <laughs> with that team against anybody. I mean, once they actually started wrestling, I thought it was fine, but yeah. I did not need to see all, like you said, maybe being on television instead of live, or maybe I'm just a grump. I don't know. Oh, but no, I just, well, I'm, I'm a noticeable crank, but I think being in that in that live audience where they were eating that up, where Cody was just playing the hate extendedly to, to the point where it was absurd, I think, I think that's what did it. It's not just that he engaged with the hate, it's that he engaged with it to such an absurd point that it stalled the match for half the match time. I just, uh, I don't know. I, I give I give credit where credit's due there. Um, but yeah, let's go to Omega and Ishii because this was fantastic. Yeah, I, I gave this four and a quarter and I thought it was about on the level of the um, the New Japan Cup match they had. And I liked it better than the, than, than the Dontaku match, which I kind of thought was disappointing. But like just just as far as like the, uh, having a really hot like last ten minutes, this was among the best matches. I, I still liked Elgin Omega a little better, but yeah. it was ve- it was very close. Like this I, was still this was a really see, good match. I could see that being a toss up. We I didn't get to see my my only issue with this match was in the arena they didn't get it up to the big screen until after that first kind of brawl in the stands. So so we're chanting literally. We can't see this. Clap, 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 clap. <laughs> um, and and the other, the only other chant that annoyed me all night was that was the one time we got a "This is awesome" chant, uh, <laughs> which is the clearing call. But I, I really, yeah, that last ten minutes of that match, especially the, you know, the the uh, the the, the uh, uh, checkoffs table spot, where yeah, that was that was just like that's one of those spots where it's almost too insane. Where like yeah. I'm really concerned for their safety, but it was it was a it was a very, I mean first of all having Ishii bite the ro- the top rope to, to to refuse to go down yes. that's such a perfect spot for him mm-hmm. you know the stone pit bull and everything and like it made such a great visual but then the actual bump like oh my that was one of those spots where it's like I don't know if we really need to be doing that like I the think- match is still going to be a classic match without it like. 
I think what uh, made a classic for me was that that last barrage of slaps that Ishii was doing on Omega, where, where we're already like like something like twenty minutes in, twenty five minutes in, and he's just chopping the crap out of Omega. And I just go, yes, beat him down more. This is what I like to see. Um, my, I mean, it does the usual indie. The big indie thing now is the kick out at one, the roar spot get a couple moves put on you and then the finisher getting hit. I, I kind of uh, I kind of winced a bit at that just because I saw that so much during WrestleMania weekend watching the Evolve shows and the WWN shows. That seems like it's almost a trope now of indie wrestling. Yeah, it, it kind of is. Uh, but I did, but, you know, the reverse Rana hit, hitting, hitting him and him no-selling that, I popped huge for yeah, that was a great spot. I thought that. And, yeah. and when Ishii is one of the best no sellers in yes. the entire in all of wrestling, where like when he no sells something, he does it in such a way that you totally buy that yes. he can he and can I, shrug this off. And I and I kind of I compare that to say um, uh, Tangaroa, who I don't buy it all the time when he no sells. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great that's a great comparison too because he just kind of like sometimes it's like well I don't know if you've earned this buddy I'm Samoan <laughs> and I got hit in the head no 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 he's Tong he's Tongan actually yeah oh Tongan that's uh, right because, which is funny you made that mistake because Jr also did that ah <laughs> damn it he called him Samoan and I'm like Tama Tama Tonga like his name is Tama Tonga well no but, I was saying Tongaroa. Right, no, but they're but both. Yeah, silent. you're right. You're, you're right. I know that. I'm just, I'm just <laughs> mad. At, right now, I'm mad at myself for doing that because it's like, it's like I it's know better. Same, it's the same mistake. But JR then again, made. but then again, when when Haku came out, I looked. I go, oh man, look, it's Rikishi up on the top rope just because yeah. it's like he looked bigger than I remember him. I was just like, yeah. oh man. So, but I knew that Haku comes out with with them sometimes. I should have known better. I just yeah. that's one to beat myself up over. But uh, you know, he earns his no sells just by. <laughs> I just love the thought that this guy has no neck, and people try and work the head spots well, on him. Exactly, that's that's a great point too. And like, he just has such a great physical, um, physical body for for a new to be like the, the type of New Japan. Yeah, he little, does little he, badass. Yeah, no, he. I mean, he from moment one, he never has to get into character. He's just kind of, you know, he has his shoulders up, and he's kind of waddling down to the ring, and you just know. <laughs> You know, you know, we're gonna see a tough guy, mean guy type match, and that's you know, that's what I love in New Japan when I watch. I love those kind of tough guy type of things. I don't always love say. <laughs> I, th- I think Ishii gave him the softest headbutt I've ever seen anybody give a guy in this match. Or no, it was that was during the the, the saber match. Mm. The saber match, he basically just kind of lightly tapped his forehead. <laughs> Dude, oh my god, that's the lightest headbutt I think I'll ever see in New Japan. But um, mm. but yeah, the the, the forearm shots. I, I like that he sold his arm throughout too. Every time he hit the guy, he just kind kind of shook it off and kept that going throughout the match. But yeah, so it was a it was a fantastic match. Um, Omega, he seems like a good choice to win the U.S. title. I mean, if you want people to take the belt seriously, it, I don't. It, it seems like the the guy to put it on. Going in, did you think that that was going to happen? No, I, I had Elgin winning. I think. Okay, I, I wasn't sure because it it feels like one of those moves where they've been playing up that Naito was saying that this is such a superfluous belt, anyways, because well, of the Intercontinental gonna, title. He said he was going to throw it in the Pacific Ocean, which we won. Yeah. Which would have been I, I wish I kind of wish he had gone all the way to like my finals I had Elgin Naito okay. because I thought it would have been great if Naito went all the way to the finals threatening to dump this fucking belt in the Pacific Ocean if he won and then Elgin kind of had to save the belt 
from Throne Destruction. I just think unless they're going to make it a a North American only defended in the, like, say, Ring of Honor type of thing. I mean, with the Never title and the Never Six Man, we're we're almost getting to oversaturation of belts where everybody's going to have a title of some we're I think we're already there, actually, but... Yeah, I mean, I think that's part of Kenny's issue is you're going to have to try to find a way to make the belt special. And I think one way might be just having it be defended less, like almost being kind of like a trophy title until, um, you know, maybe you do Omega Ibushi for the title at the Dome or something. Okay. And then you have him, br- then you have him bring it to the U.S. Because I still think the money is in Omega in this main event program with him not having to worry about a belt, per se, just chasing Okada and who he has to go through to get there, although it seems like they've resolved the tensions in the Bullet Club, so we're not going to go that route. Oh, I think I think that was a t- I think that was like a... Um, I still think they're going to go that route. I think that was like a, a, a false makeup. But now, do, we'll do, now how, how do you think they break it off? Do you think they break it off with like the Elite and Marty Skrull going their way and then Cody leading the rest of the, say, the B-teamers? It could, it could be something like that, yeah. Okay. But I don't I don't know. I don't I don't like to I'm I'm not very good at fantasy booking, so we'll, I just kind of <laughs> I'm content on seeing how it plays out. I wouldn't call it fantasy booking. I was going to call it speculating. <laughs> That's true, speculating. Um all right, but so overall thoughts on I guess the second show and the two shows to, all together. Um absolutely worth it. Um especially because the price was so cheap. Uh I I just I I love um this crowd was fantastic, I thought. Uh, I thought the shows overall were both fantastic and kept the crowds engaged. Um, if I had one complaint, they obviously did not uh, they did not account for the the popularity of their merchandise because that merchandise line, if you got into the line on night one, you were in there for two hours and you were missing the show because they closed down the merch stand as soon as the show was over. That's crazy, and that's insane to me. They need to they need to get a better better handle on that. The venue itself was okay, except for sight lines when guys are on the floor. They mm. need to do a better job of, of projecting that on the screen. I don't agree with Omega that you could fill an arena of twenty thousand necessarily with it. I think. What about what about ten thousand? Ten, I think you could do if it's a very if if it's a G one event. And it's it's something it's a city where where it's worth traveling like a Los Angeles. Because um, I I actually think they could do ten thousand. I for do a big too. Show. I do too. I I I think um, I think especially if you put some really spectacular matches on there, it would be seen as a destination type of thing. So you could get a lot of people down there. I mean, I had people from North Dakota and 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 the middle of Texas coming in for this show because they are such huge New Japan fans. So I think you could probably do that. Yeah, any other year I would have gone. It's just with going to the actual G1 this year, it just was not... It didn't... It wasn't possible for me to add a trip to L.A. at the last minute. But next year, if they do this again, I'm definitely going to go. I'd like to go... I've never been to Japan, so I'd like to go yeah. for, for, say, you know, the the January 4th show. It's, I mean. fin- it, it's fantastic, yeah. Um... But I could talk. I I could be on here for another ten hours talking about how much I love Japan. So it's probably not a good idea. Um, okay, but to wrap this up, we did have one question. Okay, it was sent in by um, last week's special guest co-host Connor Dunphy, who is at is all right now on Twitter. Um, his qu- question is kind of long, so I'll just read it here. He says, One thing that I've come to notice in recent years is the apparent function of WWE signing talent from other promotions. 
Rather than take advantage of their qualities and skills to make new stars, the motivation simply seems to be cutting the legs out from underneath promotions that even have a slight chance of becoming substantial competition. With this in mind, do you see WWE basically coasting off of being the de facto number one promotion 10, 20, 30 years from now? Will there ever be a time where in the wrestling scene in North America is truly competitive? What do you think? I see them coasting. Um, and I see them... But there is some some blowback in terms of just signing top guys from independent promotions and having the independent promotion shut down because then they can't farm talent from there anymore. Um, I, I think there will always be smaller promotions. I don't see anyone getting to the WWE publicly traded company level ever again. I think once WWE has its fall, and it will someday, I don't think it can last forever because I think they're going to... They're, they're too... They're too focused on expansion and I think that will be their downfall one day not in the immediate future but further down the road um, and I think right now what would need to happen for a company to really differentiate itself is to not rely on the things that WWE does well and I think too much of that happens on the indies and in smaller promotions that they want to present it with the same kind of quality, production quality, and the same kind of, um, for lack of a better term, scripting as a WWE program. So they come off as a knockoff product, and all these creative guys who they hire are, are people from WWE, so that's what you're going to get. You'd really have to take a look at the history of wrestling and and kind of craft a promotion that does things that the WWE does not do terribly well and really focus on that to even get in that conversation. So so my answer to this is I I think WWE is the definition of a paper tiger where I think if if another company ever decided if if a Turner if a company like Turner decided they were going to get behind a wrestling promotion or make their own wrestling promotion today like they did in the 90s, I think WWE would have almost no chance to compete with that because I think they would you know, they, they would be able to compete with it from a from a brand loyalty standpoint and from a standpoint of being the one that everybody knows but if you have like a real media conglomerate get behind a wrestling promotion that's booked correctly I think they would be bigger than WWE within, within like a decade I, I don't because I've watched it twice. I watched when the Crockett's tried to compete against them, and I watched it when Turner tried to compete against. I think, I think if you went one on one, sure. But I think Vince would do things like if you decide as a promotion to go on the road. I think he'd make deals with uh, if he were still alive when this happened. I think he'd be making deals with which he might, arenas. which he might not be, which he might yeah. not be. But so. I think, I, I, but I think that company would still have that mm. same kind of cutthroat. We'll make personal deals with these arenas and these areas. I mean, like kind of like how they tried to shut down all these indie groups playing during WrestleMania until they finally decide, hey, we can use this to our advantage. The the only thing, I mean, I, I, I just think that when WWF took out Turner and took out Crockett, I think they were in a much stronger position than they are in now. So, I don't know. I think I think nowadays they they would have to get to that level of craftiness to fend off a, a true challenger. So to me, the, to me, the question is, 
are we ever going to see a real challenger again? And that's a bigger, that's the question, not so much whether or not, like, that's a bigger thing than whether or not WWE can hold on. I think we will, and I think they will eventually overtake them. I I think you need I think you're going to need out of the box thinkers combined with people who actually know the wrestling industry and the problem is the people that they listen to in the wrestling industry have some bad instincts it would depend on who they were listening to yeah I mean you know obviously nobody can predict the future but that's my prediction is 30 years from now um, you know the there's another there's another player at least and it's like some kind of media conglomerate behind it and they they at least are giving WWE a run for their money. Okay. I think when I think when Vince dies too, you know, not to be too morbid here, but that'll be like some people in the in the general media industry might take that as their opening. I don't I don't think there'll be a national competitor like that, but I do think that we will see a time where kind of your locals or at least smaller promotions are much stronger as a group, and they may combine to go after them. Yeah. Um, and then his other question was, what's our favorite dumb FCW slash NXT name? Um, I, I had to go Tyler Rex. I always, <laughs> that, that's such a stupid name, and it's just so bad. That I, I've always loved that one. So Tyler I, Rex is my answer. If we're going with the absolute worst, um, it, it's a tie for me, I think, between Husky Harris. <laughs> that's a pretty bad one. Which is terrible, and also just... The names of the authors of pain being Occam and Razor. <laughs> I, I just, you know, I totally forgot about that one. I just, I just could oh. wait. I wait. I wait. And and you know, I like the thought behind it, but it's just too clever by half. Um. All right. So with that, with that very, very uh, interesting question. Thank you for that, Connor. We will wrap up another episode, the second episode of Wrestling Omakase. Thank you, Jeff, for coming on. This mm-hmm. was a lot of fun. Um, and thank you all the listeners who especially gave us a shot last week, well beyond what I expected. So if you hopefully are still with us, you can follow us on Twitter at Wrestle Omakase. It's O-M-A-K-A-S-E. Um, you can email us questions, wrestlingomakase at gmail.com. And next week's episode... We are bringing on two guests instead of one, so two for the price of one. We are having on Drew Wardlow, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, so I apologize, Drew, from Burning Spirits and Dylan Justin from Voice of Wrestling. Oh, nice. And the theme of next week is going to be a crash course to Japanese wrestling. So we are going to cover everything except New Japan, because we're assuming everybody knows New Japan by now. And we are going to try to talk about the rosters of each promotion, what makes them special, where you can watch them, um, the champions, like just every basic fact about each promotion, our thoughts on them, and whether or not we recommend them to you based on what type of wrestling fan you are. So I'm excited about this concept. I think it'll be a really cool concept for people who only watch New Japan or maybe don't even watch New Japan to give you a chance to get into a lot more promotions. So definitely check that out next week, our Japanese wrestling, um, you know, our Japanese wrestling crash course, our Japanese wrestling course into uh, getting into Japanese wrestling. So that's next week's episode. And until then, thank you for listening. Uh, Jeff, do you have anything you want to plug other than shake them ropes? Uh, you can follow me at Crap Game 13 I also do the uh, post-game show live at Fightful Wrestle. Awesome. So thanks again to Jeff for coming. Thanks for you listening, and we'll see you next time. Okay. In a world of one million 
Wrestling Podcast, there is a new shining star with great interviews, analysis, music, and and me, Matt Coon, on total engagement. Go to any podcast platform to listen today.